All, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us. We're all broken in some way. We all had done things that, that we're not proud of. But God. But God. But God can heal. But God can restore. But God can give us a future. But God can give us, because he still has a plan for you, no matter what you've done. No matter where you've been, no matter how your life has gone, God has a plan for you, and it is a good plan. So I would encourage you to continue to have people in your prayers, all those people that we take for granted, policemen, firemen, EMTs that see difficult things. There's all kind of people out there that are doing stuff in their normal daily life that's difficult, that's hard, and they go home and they struggle with, but yet they keep going because God, I truly believe this, because God has called them. It's not about being called to be a pastor. It's not about God has called people to be EMTs. God has called people to be firemen. God has called people to be police officers. God has called people to be social workers. God has called people to do these things that reaches out into our community. And that gets us to this idea, the section that we are in the Believe study and in this book about <clears throat> giving our resources. And you guys know me. I'm not a fan of, uh, of using a discussion about giving resources to talk about giving to the church monetarily. So, so you can go ahead and relax if you're worried about that because it's not what this is about today. If you've been around this long enough, then you probably figured that out by now. But we'll just go ahead and make sure that, that you are aware of that. So that way you can enjoy the rest of this. Because then I'm going to challenge you on the stuff that's a lot harder to give anyway. Right? So the key question out of, out of this week's study is, how do I best use my resources to serve God and others? How do I best use my resources to serve God and others? And the key idea is then I give my resources to fulfill God's purposes. The key verse, if you were looking in the, in the book this week, which I'm, I am so confident that you were. <clears throat> amen. Um, don't, don't say amen if you weren't. Um, but you just let that one, let, let that one slide. The, I added a few more verses to it because I think there's some context there that you need to have and it, and it makes this a little more powerful. And I'm really going to touch on things that weren't so much in, this, in the book because if you read the book, as I'm so confident that you did, um, and you were allowing God to speak to you through that, then I want to give you a little bigger picture of this and some stuff that I think is going to help you out even more. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7 says, Moreover, brothers... We want you to experience the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty overflowed toward the riches of their generous giving. For I bear record that according to their means and beyond their means, they freely gave, begging us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. This they did, not as we expected, 
First, they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this gracious deed for you. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Father, I pray that you will um, open our hearts to your word today and help us to understand what it means to give of our resources to you, not to an entity, not to a structure, not to a church per se, but to give completely and fully to you. And God, that we will be changed as a result. Challenge us in our hearts today. I pray and believe this in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church together said, Amen. 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 So, I need a little bigger pulpit is what I needed. Let me lay that down. One of the first things that I want us to focus on in, in our short time today, I literally only have front of this page and back of this page. That's half of what the normal is. Because I'm trying to make sure that since we had another speaker that I don't just, you know, overload you with the putting all the hay in the trough. You already got some hay in the trough, so I'm just going to throw some more in there. One of the first things I want to focus on is regarding how Paul repeatedly uses the term grace in this passage. And you might not have picked up on this because... The words that got translated into the English don't let us see that the same root word was being used in the original language. <coughs> the word charis, are, which is the original word, and that's translated grace and some other uh, different words in this passage, it appears in this original text five times in verses 1 through 9. He talks about grace, about God's grace. And he's not talking about God's grace uh, alone as in God extending grace to us through Jesus Christ, but he's talking about grace that happens through this act of giving. He says, this giving is a grace. It's a great study, and this has come up a lot in the last few weeks as we've been working through the idea of gifts, grace, all these different things. Grace is not just what we talk about about God's grace, but God gives us graces. And he describes this act of giving as one of, of, of grace. Here in 2 Corinthians 8, it appears... So it not only appears five times in verses 1 through 9 here in 2 Corinthians 8, it appears eight times in just chapters 8 and 9. He talks about grace. The Macedonian people were poor, if you didn't pick that up, out of what he said. And I'm not talking about they're poor as in they just had less than the affluent people that were around them. It's not like, well, they were middle class or they were lower middle class or... You know, they had stuff, but just not a whole lot kind of thing. That's not what he's talking about. The word that's actually used in the original uh, manuscripts to describe their poverty is the word that we derive our English word bathysphere from. Does anybody know what a bathysphere is? Bathysphere is some Jacques Cousteau kind of stuff. This is what you get in to go to the very depths of the ocean and explore. 
This isn't just jumping in a submarine. This is a, a, an item that can take you to the intense pressures of the deepest parts of the ocean. Their poverty is described in a word that we then use to define a device that we can go into the lowest places on earth. It's deep, guys. It's not that they're kind of poor. It's not that they kind of have some stuff, but, but they're just not as... They are in abject poverty, the deepest of the deep. It was intense. The Bible also said that they were in a state of affliction. So not only were they impoverished, but they were in a state of affliction. And, and when you get the picture of that, basically saying that life was crushing them. <clears throat> They're extraordinarily burdensome poverty. Coupled with affliction was making life almost unbearable. For the average person, they, would, they were so destitute, so without that it seemed like everything in life was against them. It seemed like that they were just absolutely afflicted. It made me think when I was reading this how the Bible described how we viewed Jesus. We deemed him stricken and afflicted. Why? Because he got beaten so badly. He was mistreated so badly that we looked and said that he must have all of this stuff coming against him because he's afflicted. He is, he is uh, in the deepest, darkest parts of being abused and being mistreated. And that's where this Macedonian church was. They were in such a condition, they had nothing. It seemed like absolutely nothing. And they were set upon by life at the same time. But then when you look at verses 2 and 3 and you see how it describes their giving, it ought to be something that for the average person in the average church that it should be a conviction in our hearts when we see how the Macedonian church was described. It says how in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy... And, look, and listen to this contrast, and their deep poverty overflowed toward the riches of their generous giving. How do those two things end up in the same sentence with both overflowing? Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed. That's why I told you that we're not talking about money and you giving to the church today because that way I can just preach this and you can just get this. What a contrast that a church was described as being in a great trial of affliction. But yet the abundance of their joy and the abundance of their deep poverty overflowed toward the riches of their generous giving. How many times, how many times have you said in yourself when God was speaking to your heart about giving? And I'm not talking money alone, guys. You know that's not what I'm talking about. When God was speaking to you about giving of your resources, how many times have you said, I don't have 
time. I don't have to give that. I can't do that. I've got this other stuff. I've got these other things. Our world is dying for a lack of the gospel message going out because we don't have time. Because we've got personal priorities. Because we have identified that this stuff... Now, you understand, there's biblical priorities. I always talk about that out of this church that that's why we don't ask you to do a whole lot of things during the week because there are biblical priorities about your family. There's biblical priorities about your children. Starts with your spouse and we get outside of, outside of God. Now you get first priorities always to God, but in your home, I'm just going to give you this for free. It's not in the notes. Your first priority is not to your children. If it is, you are out of God's will with you. If, if you're I got a short message today, so I don't have enough time to, to beat around the bush with you. If, if your first priority in your home is your children, you need to pray. You need to get that right today. If it is not your spouse, then you are out of God's will. Because your first, for your first priority, biblically, the Bible talks about that a man and woman will leave their, their parents and they'll cleave together and the two become one. Your children are going to grow up and God knows they may come back or whatever else, and that may be a blessing or whatever, but they are going to move out. And there are more divorces that happen after children move out of the home because the children were the reason that they stayed together. Children were the priority instead of working on the relationship. And Christian, what, what people believe to be Christian families in churches end up divorced after the children move out because the whole time they were not working on the priorities according to God's plan. We're not just talking about you giving of your resources to the church. We're talking about you giving of your resources to God. And God wants to work on your marriage. And God wants to work on your relationship with your children. And God wants you to work on your relationship with your extended family. And God wants you to work on other relationships. But he wants you to keep them in priority and give to him so that he can work through you in those situations. These people, although they were going through a great trial of affliction, it says the abundance of their joy. They didn't just have a little joy. I think there's a lot of people that, that look and they just, we, we do our best to try to find some amount of joy when we're going through trials. And I know it's hard, Right? It's hard when we're going through trials and afflictions and all this. But somehow this Macedonian church had tapped into something in God. They had tapped into something in God where that they were able to, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what was happening around them, they were tapped into the God of the universe. They were tapped into the God who says that with man things may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. They had tapped into the God of the universe who could speak worlds into existence, who could form a man out of the, the dust of the earth and could breathe life into him. I think sometimes when we're going through the trials that we face in life, and they are hard, and they are difficult, and we don't ever, it, God help us if we ever in the faith community act like they're not. But I will never exalt the problem over the God who is stronger than all of them. I will never exalt the situation to be greater than the God who can walk through those situations with us. And it is time that we, <coughs> as a body of believers in the church world as a whole, 
Start telling people that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. That even though we're going through the problem, even though it's going to hurt, <coughs> but yet God can lead you beside the still waters. That God can put you into that green pasture. That God can make you to lie down. That God can prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. <coughs> they didn't have a little bit of joy. They had an abundance. An abundance is not we got just enough. An abundance says I got way more than what I need. An abundance says it is beyond anything that I have to have. It's abundant. Their joy was abundant. He turned around then and said, oh, man, is that my water? God bless America. <coughs> I couldn't remember where it was earlier. May you be blessed. May the sand of your tent be free from fleas. May your children rise up and call you blessed. I don't know about y'all, but there's stuff that you go through. There's moments, there's days, sometimes it's life because of something that's happened. There are things where you, I need some joy and I don't need it a little bit. I need an abundance. And I look at this Macedonian church and I almost want to be able to say, boy, I wish I could talk to one of them. I wish I could ask them, how is it that in the middle of all this poverty, in the middle of all this affliction, just tell me how it is that you have an abundance of joy. But the problem is I already know the answer. I already know the answer, and we're actually going to see it here in the rest of this scripture here in just a second. But I just want you to fully try to get your head around that they were in a great trial, and what was overflowing was both their joy and their poverty. It overflowed, it over both of those it said, when it overflowed, it overflowed toward the riches of their generous giving. Verse 3 then said, For I bear record that according to their means and beyond their means, they freely gave. Okay, so these folks have a great trial of affliction. They're overflowing in joy. Their poverty is overflowing. And, and Paul could write and say, but I tell you what, I'm a witness. They didn't just give according to what little bit of means they had. They went above and beyond that. And these folks were in abject bottom of the ocean, deep as you can go, where the fish ain't got no eyes, kind of poverty. I know that was terrible English, but y'all were with me. He said, I bear record that according to their means and beyond their means, they freely gave. They didn't give something they had two of. They didn't give something that was really nice and then they had one that wasn't so nice, and they were going to keep the one that wasn't so nice. These people basically gave out of their need. You know, God, 
points this kind of stuff out in Scripture. Remember Jesus is sitting with the disciples. People are coming up and giving. Remember the story where I'm going? Got a widow involved in it. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, so we've been sitting here watching everybody come and give. So who do you think gave the most? Disciples trying to figure that deal out, you know. You know how we think. We look and go, oh, <clears throat> this guy's got millions of dollars. If he gives, he must have. I mean, he literally gave the most. Jesus said, no. He gave those two little mites because she gave everything she had. How do you do that? How do you look at God? Well, and again, I guess I should ask, how do you not? But how do you look at God and say, God, I'm going to give you everything. Forget money. Get, get out of the money thing, guys. I'm going to give you everything. Even if I think I need to retain control of it, I'm going to give you everything. Many people are still more easily convinced by God to give things but not give themselves. There's a lot of people who don't have a problem. You hear somebody say, they'll give you the shirt off their back. Yeah, they just won't spend any time with anybody. See, sometimes we don't have as much of a problem giving things. Maybe we're not that attached to things, but boy, I sure am attached to my time. That's my time, right? Verse 5 there, in, let, 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 me, let me just get us there from, from 2. So verse 2, we had just read, we, and they were in a great trial of affliction, the abundance, their joy, and their deep poverty overflowed toward the riches of their generous giving. He says, I bear a record that according to their means and beyond their means they freely gave, comma, this they did, not as we expected. He said, they didn't go about this the way that we thought they were going to. And here is the answer when I said I would like to be able to ask one of them, how did you get this together this way? How did this work? How did you get your heart that way? And here is the answer right here in verse 5. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. I'll just be honest, and, and it's been a while since I've mentioned this, so if you hadn't been here and heard it, I just want you to go ahead and hear it. And it's a strong word that I'm going to use, but I'm just going to tell you, I hate to see people in the church world get on television begging for money. Hate to see it. Hate to see them abuse God's word when they run out there. Oh, if you're one of the first, they sound like one of them ridiculous kind of commercials that used to be on TV all the time. If you're one of the first 100 people that gives $1,000, then God's going to, you are so far not in God's will saying that kind of junk. Well, I said, what if you're 101? Your phone wasn't working right that day. You couldn't dial fast enough. <clears throat> Just missed it. Just missed my blessing. I was 101, and I missed out on it. Boy, I wish I'd have been one earlier where I could have got that blessing. I like the fact that the Bible says that God's not a respecter of persons, and God's the same yesterday, and he's the same today, and he's the same forever. I'm going to tell you, if God's wanting to bless because you're you giving something, God's going to bless whether you're number one, whether you're number 101, 1,001, 10,001, because God just wants to work in your life. Amen. I hate to see 
this stuff, people getting on, just begging for money, like, you know, just all trying to, oh, we're going to do this, and, and we're going to send you this prayer cloth, and we're going to give you this. And well, if you just want to send somebody a prayer cloth, don't ask them to give $100 to do it. Just pray for them. Anyway. A lot of people, though, they'll give some things. So he said, he said, they didn't give as we expected because first they gave themselves to the Lord. See, if we'd focus more in the faith community about trying to get people to give themselves to the Lord, then everything else will take care of itself. I promise today, because I'm going to get up and Lord willing and I don't die before the morning, I'm going to get up and go to work in the morning. So I don't need to talk to you today about I need you to give to the church. I don't need to talk to you about I need you to get out your checkbook. and No, I'll tell you what would be the most encouraging thing is if today you made a renewed and a fresh decision that you said, Pastor, I'm going to give myself to God like I've never given myself to him before. I'm going to walk out of here today with a renewed commitment, a renewed surrender, a new giving of myself to say, God, if you can use anything, you can use me because first I'm going to give myself to the Lord. I'm just going to be honest with you on something. I've said it before. I've heard people, I've heard pastors say that God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grouch. God don't want your grouchy money. God doesn't want your grouchy time. God doesn't want your grouchy commitment. That's not biblical. And nothing about that is right. You can give your money and God not have your heart and you're not right. But I promise if God's got your heart, you'll give out of your resources into God's work. Not to the church. You notice I said resources. You'll give time to serve the community. You'll give time to serve those that have a need. When we talk about you giving of your resources today, I'm not asking you to give some more money. I just want to keep saying and making that clear. But I am challenging you. Are you giving yourself fully to the Lord? I'm not talking about did you let him save you. There's a lot of people that, you know, yeah, they want the benefit of being saved, but they're not wanting the benefit of surrendering their whole life. I was watching some different stuff yesterday. I was laying in a bed just trying to, trying to sweat some stuff out and everything, and I was... I was laying there, and so I was watching on Faith Life has a TV channel on Roku. It's pretty good. I was watching some different stuff, and man, it was just challenging me. J.I. Packer that wrote Knowing God, um, he's, he's old now. And I was watching an interview with him, and he was talking about just giving, just, just giving yourself to God and fully allowing God to use you. And I was like, okay, Lord, all right, yeah, you, you're just re, reassuring this this message and that we're in this book and happen to be here on the right day at this point for this message to be the one for this week. And then I happen to come up on and I'm going to watch this thing with J.I. Packer and see this interview with him. And, and there he goes to talking about that. And I'm going, all right, all right, Lord. Got it. It's really a pretty basic concept when we realize that our lives are not our own, we will not think that the possessions are our own either. Do we even realize how this theme runs throughout the Bible? We got Abraham and Isaac, 
Isaac was the child of promise. He's the one that God had told Abraham, this, this is where the, the promise is going to come through. It's going to come through him. Not Ishmael, it's going to come through Isaac. What does God challenge him to do? When I lay my Isaac down. Can you imagine? He's telling Isaac, hey, let's go out. Let's take these servants and let's, let's go because we're going to go to the mountain there and worship. They get to the foot of the mountain. He looks, at the, he looks at the servants and he says, you guys stay here. The lad and I are going to go and worship and then we will return to you. God already told him, I need you to make a sacrifice. Isaac. Abraham tells the men there, we're going to go and then we're going to come back. He knew God was responsible for God's promise. He could have said, now I can't, God. You finally gave this thing to me. You finally gave me my boy. I messed this up. And I got Ishmael going on and got some problems. But you finally gave me the promise. Now, you can't ask me to be willing to surrender that. You can't ask me to release that to you. No. Remember, Isaac asked him, says, where's the sacrifice? He said, God will provide. My goodness. Maybe you're not, maybe, uh, well, I've just been thinking about it. Maybe, maybe you had, so if, you, if you read this, you've been thinking about some of this this week. You imagine that you're facing and God is challenging you to surrender something in your life that you're going, man, I really want to hang on to this. I really want to hang on to my time. I really want to hang on to this car. I really want to hang on to this. What if God calls you to be a missionary, go somewhere to another country, and you're going to give up all the stuff that, that there's a lot of people that rather than praying, God, if you need me to be a missionary, send me there going, God, I'm thanking you that you hadn't called me to be a missionary, right? <laughs> Thank you, God. What if he did? What if he called you to give it all up? Yeah, it'd be hard. We'd have to deal with ourselves some, but, but we'll be able to, to look and say, God, that car doesn't matter. That house doesn't matter. Having these utilities or these particular things doesn't matter. Because if you're calling me to do this, then it's all about you. I was reading a sermon by Kent Hughes out of Westminster College, and he said this, it's easy to surrender surrender part when we've already in the whole. It's easy to surrender part when we've already given the whole. He said, it's not hard to give out of something you have when you've already given God everything. When you've already told him, it all belongs to you, God. And then he says, okay, so I want you to give this. Okay, not a problem, because I'm just giving part and I've already surrendered the whole. This whole idea of giving. He went on to say, giving is a matter of grace from beginning to end. Christ gave himself for us. We receive his grace. And then we give ourselves to him and to others in his name. Catch that. Giving is a matter of grace from beginning to end. Christ gave himself for us. We receive his grace, and then we give ourselves to him and to others in his name. Some of you may have reached a point in your spiritual growth 
where everything's stalled out. And honestly, it may be stalled out because you've not really begun to give of yourself and your resources as Scripture's directing you. You may be giving money and all that. That's not to, But you are not maybe given of yourself in the way the Scripture's directing you. And, and honestly, until you do that, your spiritual life is going to stay at a certain level. It is not going to move beyond that because it is the essence. God so loved the world that he gave. You, you read about all of the ideas of discipleship and what it calls us to. Jesus says, if you want, anybody wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow after me. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Just go through the scripture and see it. How can we who have received so much not freely give back to him and say, God, use me. God, use my house. Sean, I've been talking a lot about this because if you thought I was just rambling when I was starting about Save a Life, she was telling me yesterday, she said, Nathan, it's just been such an encouragement. You know, I'm going in different people's houses and doing this stuff that she's doing now. And she said, it's just people are excited. And she said, the concept about people coming together. She said, because I just, there's so many things that are so negative. And she said, I feel like that we, even in the, in the faith community, have forgotten what it means to gather together. We're so busy. She said, and it's not that it's difficult, you know, that it's not difficult to get the house ready or stuff like that. Or she said, but I'm just seeing so much the value of just coming together and being positive and encouraging one another and just seeing people that hadn't seen each other, didn't know that they knew each other. And, and I thought in the grander scheme of things when it comes to God's people that can you imagine what this Macedonian church had to be like? People who come together knowing they're all in abject poverty, but yet what must their church services have been like? Whatever they had. So we you know it wasn't exactly like today. I mean, they but what must it have been like for people that were overflowing with an abundance of joy and didn't have anything? But yet we're figuring out ways. How can we put together what we don't really have in order to give? Because we, and in fact, Paul said they begged us. That's why I wanted to get you verses 1 through 7. He says they begged us, please take our gift and let us be a part of the ministry. I didn't come away from this passage today focused on the idea of, well, Everybody's poor all together. I don't feel like that's what the, the focus is at all. I feel like that the focus for us today is most of us have. And I'm not talking about things. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about we recognize the fullness of what God Haitian, of the Holy Spirit, the great gift that we've been given by Jesus Christ of salvation of the Holy Spirit indwelling us and encouraging us on a daily basis, we too should be overflowing with an abundance of joy even in the midst of affliction and issues. And that doesn't mean it's easy, but it doesn't mean there's a choice that's involved in this. 
that I can decide. It made me think about Joshua. I'm tying you some loops in because I just love seeing how Scripture comes together. When Joshua looks at the people who were struggling and they were trying to decide, well, we can't do this thing. We can't go up into, into the, the promised land and take it in. Joshua said, I tell you what, I believe we can. And you need to choose this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He was staring at a challenge that he was saying, I don't think that we can do this thing. In the natural, it doesn't look like we can do this. But we're going to have to choose whether we're going to serve our ideas and our thoughts and our natural opinions or are we going to serve God today. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. When we were deciding before Caleb was born what we were going to name him, Benjamin, his middle name, means son of my right hand, but he's my right-hand man. That was, that, that was my... And Caleb, when we look in Scripture, Caleb was an old man. And he looked and he said, give me my mountain. In that group, of the, in the promised land, he said, I, give me mine. We'll go up and take it. God has promised it. I'm challenging you that if you are looking at your life and you're saying, I don't, I don't see how I can give any more to God. I don't see how I can give any more of my time to God. I don't see how, then I am challenging you to look at your life and say, God, show me how that I can be like that Macedonian church. Show me how it is that I can find a way to be able to have an abundance of joy even while my poverty of what I think I can't give is overflowing as well. But both of them will overflow into the richness of our giving. God, help me to see that because if you could do it for that church and those people in that time, then God, surely you can do it for me. And I would challenge you that if you are sitting and you're looking at your life today and you recognize and said, you know what, you're right I have noticed that my spiritual life's kind of plateaued. Now, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that I like for things to be leveled out. I don't think we need to be going from highs to lows spiritually or in anything else in your life. I think there needs to be some balance that's maintained. If you get too high and too low, too high and too low, boy, it'll jerk everything in your life into a knot. But plateauing and never moving. We ought to be looking at God. I want you to be putting me on this a steady incline. It may not be a ramp up that looks like we're fixing to jump the mountain. But God, I need, I need, I want to see my spiritual growth going up. And if you are sitting here today and you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I feel like I've kind of plateaued. I feel like I really haven't grown that much spiritually in the last six months. Then let's do something about that. Let's do something about that. Let's start today. Let's start today by saying, God. When we pray here in a moment, let's start today with being able to say, God, I want to yield myself to you fully. All the mess that's been in my life, all the stuff, all the decisions, all of this, I'm going to give it to you and let you do something with it. Now, I need to start with something because you may be here today and you may be going, well, you know what? I really haven't given my life to God to begin with. Well, then we definitely need to fix something for you today. You're here for a reason. You're here to, hear, to, to, to receive from what God is speaking to your heart. And it is quite simply this. 
Just like that church, you may feel like I don't have anything. My life has nothing. I am impoverished spiritually. I don't have anything to offer God. That's what those folks look like. But yet somehow out of that, they yielded what they had to God. And they said, Paul, please take, please take what we have. Here's the thing. Where they were begging Paul to take it, God is freely saying, just give me what you have. You ain't got to beg me to take it. You ain't got to beg God to take your life. God is saying, I sent my son Jesus to die for you. And so I want your life. I want you to give me your life. I don't care how much you think it's worth or not worth. God says, it's going to have worth because I say so, not because you see something in it that you think has worth. I will take what you believe is trash, and I will define it into something that I call treasure. I can guarantee you, if we went around the room today and we said, tell about your testimony. You know, the Bible talks about, Bird will know this one, he's used it before. The Bible says we overcome through two things. What are they, Bird? Blood of the Lamb, word of your testimony. If we went around the room today and we said, I want you to, I want you to just to share. Tell your testimony. Tell what your life was like. Tell some things you did. Open up the, the dark closets and tell some things. So that what God has done. I don't think there would be a person that could ever come in and sit in this building and then not know that, you know what? God can save. And God loves me. I don't even have to understand why. I don't have to understand how. I just have to receive it. I don't have to, you know, know why did you give me a gift? I just need to take it. If that's you today, we need to start there. Giving is a matter of grace, and Christ gave himself for you. Receive his grace and give yourself to him. Let's pray.